Our scripture lesson for today comes from Acts chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 17. This is at the very end of uh, Paul's uh, active ministry. From here, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. And he'll spend virtually the rest of his life in some type of, of imprisonment or in captivity. It's a kind of a long reading, so sit back and relax. Listen to this part of Paul's adventure. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials, and that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem and constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care of the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to, to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we've been chasing this theme ever since Easter Sunday. Resurrection. This changes everything. And last week, we witnessed this sort of radical transformation in the life of a man named Saul who would later be known and come to be known as Paul, and the change that the resurrection created in him couldn't 
be more dramatic. Now in this week, we're going to see the end of Paul's uh, active ministry before he's imprisoned. But here's what you need to know. Approximately 22 years have expired between last week and this week. It feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? And Paul has, Paul has covered a lot of territory. Take a look. In our text for today, Paul gathers the elders, the leaders, or you might say the pastors of the churches, or maybe it was the churches that he had planted in and around Ephesus, and he's going to bid them farewell. But here's the thing. It's kind of a, of a unique passage in the book of Acts. Because in every other sermon or speech that's recorded in Acts, it was delivered to groups of unbelievers seeking to draw them into faith in Jesus. And this is the only place in Acts where a message is delivered to believers, to people who have already come to know and to trust in Jesus. And while this text is primarily a text written to pastors or, or to leadership, and that's a whole other sermon than the one I'm going to preach to you today, what his words do for us is give us a little glimpse into the communities that developed through the preaching of the gospel. And that's going to give us an opportunity this morning to think about this. Not only how the resurrection changes each of us individually and personally, but how that resurrection then also changes us as a community. The resurrection transforms each of us, which then transforms all of us together. The resurrection changes you and it changes me, which in turn changes the way that we relate to one another in this place called St. Luke's Lutheran Church. So let's just ask two questions this morning. The first one is, what exactly does this resurrection community look like? And then secondly, how is that community going to be sustained and even extended? All right, first, what is that community look like. You can see the opening verses of the text on the screen. And here's the first point, that this is a community that came into existence through the humble and yet very bold teaching of a simple message. That message is that we should repent and that we should believe the good news that in Jesus, the kingdom of God, that is, the world put right, has now begun in us through faith in him. That's the fundamental proclamation of Christianity, that the resurrection creates a community that preaches and teaches this truth. That the world is a broken mess and that it is full of broken people. All of us trying to build our own little personal kingdoms. Each of us trying to be our own master, trying to be the captains of our own soul. And do you know what you get when you get over 7 billion people on one little planet all trying to do that at the same time? You get the evening news. 
We've taught you over and over again that this repenting is a continuous, conscious turning around from building our own little personal kingdoms and entering into the very kingdom of God. That's the world put right through faith in Jesus by believing that Jesus lived the perfect life that every one of us was supposed to, to live, and then he died the death we all deserve to die, where he was cut off from the real presence of God on the cross. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. He ascended back into heaven, and he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. Can I have an amen? Yeah. Yeah, good. I've always wanted to do that. And it is exactly that message that Paul preached boldly. You see the words? He did not shrink from declaring it. He told it like it was. He called a spade a spade. He spoke this truth unswervingly, even if it offended lifelong traditional conservatives or up-and-coming sophisticated progressives. You see, he testified to both the Jews and to the Greeks. And it turns out that the gospel is an equal opportunity offender. To the lifelong traditional conservatives of Paul's day who believed that if you could just get people to work harder and try more to do the best they could to obey God's rules, he would then bless you and he would bless your nation and that would make the world right. And here comes the gospel saying, look, people, it doesn't matter how hard you try. You can never make yourself right, much less the world. It is only by trusting and believing in Jesus that we can do that. And then to the up-and-coming, sophisticated progressives who believe that, look, if everyone were just able to pursue their own heart's desire without any interference or oppression, if they could just choose to do what they thought was right, then the world would just automatically become a better place. And again, the gospel comes along and it says, no, no, listen, the only thing that will ever satisfy the deepest longing of the human heart is Jesus and everything else that you try will wind up enslaving you and ultimately causing division. The resurrection creates a unique community first by preaching and teaching the one and only saving gospel of repentance and faith in Jesus. But now look, because Paul did that both publicly and house to house. And so it turns out that this resurrection community was more than just a once a week gathering. It actually requires more than an hour a week where we shake hands, smile at one another, maybe share a cup of coffee afterwards, and we all go home pretending like everything's okay. The preaching and teaching of the gospel is what can bring us into relationships with one another where we actually can begin to do life together, where we actually start to know each other well enough and interact with each other closely enough that we can celebrate and suffer together. 
First, the resurrection community is shaped by humble yet bold preaching of teaching of repentance and faith. But secondly, this is a community that is shaped by tears. Both at the beginning and at the end, Paul talks about his tears as he preached and taught. The resurrection community is what enables transparency and vulnerability. When the gospel has worked in us repentance and faith in Jesus, we can finally stop pretending. Look, we live in a culture that thrives on these superficial facades where we project and try to convince others and even ourselves that everything is okay. It's Mother's Day, and so I have to give tribute to one of my mom's favorite shows. It's a, it's a silly little BBC program called Keeping Up Appearances. None of you would have ever seen it. Mostly I like it because of the title. It summarizes what we're doing most of the time, just keeping up appearances. But then with typical British humor, it mocks the notion of trying to prove that we are good enough to belong. This resurrection community unmasks us. Because it turns out that every one of us here is far worse than we could have ever imagined. Our lives are so twisted by the effects of our fallen sinful nature people that it took nothing less than the death of God's only son to pay for our failure. And then it turns around and the gospel says, at the same time, you're more loved, you're more cherished than you could have ever hoped for. Not only did Jesus have to die for you, Jesus was willing to die for you in order that we might be restored to God and to each other. And that means that we are in a community of equals. Regardless of all of our differences and in a community like that, we can begin to connect at a whole life level. We can truly begin to be with one another. I mean, you, you know how easy it is these days to live at arm's length from everyone. Email and social media have made it even easier for us to hide behind a screen. But this resurrection community is a place where you come and you see friends face to face. And if they look worn and haggard, you stop and you ask them, are you all right? And when they burst into tears, your lives begin to connect at a whole new level. Look, I'm as thankful as the next person for this wonderful gift of online church, especially through this last season of the pandemic. But it cannot begin to replace being here live and in person. What does the community created by the resurrection look like? It's shaped by the gospel, number one. Number two, it makes us transparent and vulnerable. And finally, number three, it then binds us together with a bond 
like no other. It made me think of that old hymn, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Look, the gospel creates a community where people have their hearts and their minds fixed on a common vision, on a common goal, on a common way of looking at the world. And that binds us all together because we're not all the same. And this isn't a social club. This isn't like the runner's club or the photography club where we have just this one little thing in common, a common interest that binds us together. This is a community that is held together because we are all faced at and focusing on the same thing. Looking at, believing in, trusting in the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the promised coming again of Jesus. And it is that common commitment that supersedes all of the differences that would divide us. That's what allows Christianity to bridge every social and economic and cultural gap. Because we have this one thing in common because of our repentance and our faith preached and taught, which makes us transparent and vulnerable with each other, all of a sudden we discover that you can actually be friends with people who are radically different than you are. Because in Christ you have eternity in common. Now I hope you see what that means. I know that it is hard to have friendships across any sort of cultural barrier. And let's be honest with ourselves. Most of us choose to hang out. We become friends with people who are like us. But in Christ, we have the opportunity and the ability to be friends with people who are different from us, different education, different background, different race, different political opinions, different everything. But this resurrection community is a place where you can make friends with people that you would never otherwise have opportunity to know, and that enriches you in ways that are beyond description. Look, that's the community that the resurrection makes possible. Now let's close this out by asking, how in the world are we supposed to sustain and even extend it? Look, our text closes with these words. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now look carefully and note, first of all, that it doesn't just happen. Look, the church is constantly in danger of being torn apart and tearing itself apart. It doesn't take much of a historian to realize that this grand and glorious resurrection community that I'm going on and on about is often a stumbling, staggering, messy community. As one commentator I read this week put it, it is a God's wonder 
that the church exists at all at this date. And so we keep going back over and over to the truth, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe, and we remember that while it is grace all of the time and nothing but grace, it's not by work so that no one can boast, we are more than simply passive recipients. Look, we're not just inanimate objects getting a new coat of paint every week. We are active participants in the grace that is being poured out upon us. And that involves a commitment. A commitment to be present with one another as often as possible. To be engaged with a smaller group of believers outside this time of worship who are actively challenging and encouraging one another to live by the gospel. Look what Paul says, by working hard at being the resurrection community, we must help the weak. And the weak includes all of us at some point. Sometimes we are weak spiritually. We've been drawn down a path where we've turned back again to building our own little personal kingdoms, and we need to work hard at holding one another accountable. But sometimes we're also weak physically as well. Like when you fall off a bicycle and fracture a whole bunch of bones. Or when you hear the cancer diagnosis. Or a son or a daughter is in crisis. Or you lose a job or you can no longer afford your rent. Look, the resurrection community is sustained and it is extended when we work hard to help the weak physically and spiritually, remembering the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, anyone who has ever, ever tried it will testify to the truth of Jesus' words. When you have been transformed by the power of the resurrection, when it has changed everything about the way that you think and act personally, you will experience the incredible blessing of becoming a giver. And sometimes that simply means giving your time, maybe volunteering for our vacation Bible school. I heard that they still need some helpers. Or maybe it's serving out there in the larger community by giving your expertise or your talent. You know what the biggest struggle is? The biggest struggle is trying to match the needs out there with the resources that we have. Connecting people who need help with their math homework with people who know math. <laughs> and truly, undoubtedly, and by far and away, the easiest way to help those in need is being generous with your money. And when you find something that you really believe in and that you know is helping people in need, the joy of generosity is exhilarating. But there's one more way to experience the blessing and giving, and that's by sharing your faith. Everybody has a story to tell about how Jesus' resurrection changed everything. 
But it turns out that's hard work too because it requires you to keep growing up in your faith and to become more transparent and more vulnerable and to slow down a little bit and actually have face-to-face conversations with people. You see what Paul said? If only I may finish the course. Now, Paul uses this athletic metaphor elsewhere to describe his life when he says things like, I've run the race, I've fought the good fight. And you all know this, that an athlete in training is single-minded. His or her life is arranged around preparing for the next race, diet, sleep, training. And the resurrection changed Paul into a dedicated, all-in Jesus follower. It was the core value of his existence. Nothing else mattered. But I will confess to you today that more often than not, even though I'm a full-time church worker, I've been more of a hobbyist follower of Jesus. You know, I like to dabble in it without without letting it consume my every waking hour. I, I like to read a little Bible and go to a little church and say a few prayers and give away a little money. And I honestly feel better about myself and my relationship with God. But the resurrection changes everything again today. Jesus died and we are forgiven. Jesus rose and we are born again to work hard at helping the weak, which is you and me and the person sitting next to you, and experiencing this blessing of giving. The the resurrection changes each of us, and that changes all of us together. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.